The Velvet Hammer, an inside look at trial lawyer life with Karen Kohler. Real life stories about fighting the good fight. This is a series that I'm doing for young lawyers, law students who are interested in becoming trial lawyers. And the second episode has to do with, (laughs) sounds horribly boring, but it's really not. It's part of life, which is preparation. Preparation sounds hideous. Um, And as a trial lawyer, preparation sounds also monumental. Way, way, way back in the day, I'm going to tell you how I used to prepare and then compare it to how that changes over time and how I do it now. To begin with, when you're starting practicing law, you don't know what you're doing. You really don't. You may have a general idea, uh, but you don't know what you're doing. And when it comes to things like attending a deposition and taking it or putting a case together, you're struggling to figure out how to do that. The easiest way is to look at another case and kind of model your actions on that case. And so we rip off forms and we rip off pleadings and we rip off language and we crib stuff together. But in trial law, plaintiff law in particular, forms aren't really that prevalent. Not like criminal law or domestic law. The individual is unique. The circumstances are varied. Sometimes there are some forms that can be used, but in general, you have to tailor everything or start from scratch. So let's look at some of the things that you start off doing. Well, I did everything. And I think that learning how to do everything at the very beginning is the best way because then you learn how to fit everything together and why we do this or why we do that and how doing or not doing this impacts that. So the rigor involved in figuring out how to put a case together from start to finish, although it sounds excruciating, which it is, is a really good thing. So going to depositions. Oh, let's go back in time. Before that, you got your case and you have to start working it up and you figure out some basic forms, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when the medical records would come in, and they would come in in reams of document-sized binders or boxes that became binders, I would go through every single page and write out a medical record summary. Every page. I did this until I was in my 40s. So uh, from from, uh, however many years that is, 15, 20 years, I did my own medical record summaries most of the time. Uh, This involved a lot of trying to figure out what the handwriting meant because in the 80s and 90s, there were not electronic records and doctors would write things out by hand and so would the nurses, which was really interesting when they tried to change what they wrote down after the fact because you could see the whiteout or you could see them trying to erase things and recopy or whatever. But painstakingly going through medical records. And there's a lot of repetition in that. 
what happens is you go through that rigor is you get to lo- get to know the medicine. You get to know, you have to look it all up. Uh, what, what, does, what is a hemicraniectomy? Uh, what is, uh, you know, whatever they are. You have to go look up everything and figure it out. And then what are the different bones of the bodies or the organs? So I had other books upon books. I had probably two dozen anatomy books, medical journals, and then uh, the prescription types of uh, big, what is it, CDR, C, C, I want to say CFR, whatever that thing is, it tells you what the uh, medical prescription complications or makeups is. So it would take me a long time to do a medical record summary and, and I would type it up and, or put it in the computer and, but I would, I would know the case so well. So I didn't really resent it. And the same thing for every other part of the case, timelines. Okay. Can you hear all those blinkings? That's my computer. Cause I didn't turn off. And now you can see how often I get emails and I'm not going to turn it off if you can hear it in the background. Every single part of a case I did it the way that you do uh, with medical records. I, I, if discovery came in, I looked at every single sheet of it. One case that I had, which was a class action, my entire office was lined with bookcases with documents. There were a million documents. I spent all the time looking at those things, going through them, chronicalizing them, and putting in into different types of summaries or groups, hot document folders, so that we could take depositions. You get the drift on the type of preparation that's involved in being a lawyer. And I don't want to say that I looked forward to the day that I didn't have to do it. I really never thought that there would be a day that I didn't have to do all that. Computers and our increasing reliance on them changed that a little bit, but not necessarily for the better overall, because instead of seeing the million pieces of paper, well, now you had file folders full of millions of pieces of paper and you had to go organize them that way. My best friend, Shelly, and I have this saying because I don't know, sometimes Shelly prepares more than I do. And usually I prepare more than Shelly does. And what we decided was that when you go to trial, you can wing it because both of us can wing it pretty well. You can wing it and get a good verdict. You can. No doubt about it. We've done it. You can wing it and get a good verdict, but it's not going to be consistent. If you prepare and can wing it, that's the absolute best combination. You're going to be way more consistent in your results. You're going to have a little bit less anxiety while you're at it. So nowadays, when I prepare, I think you probably it would make your skin crawl if you, if you were to compare me or you were the type that was like me before to how I am now. Okay, I am an old attorney. I'm 60 not old, old, but I've been practicing for 35, 36 years. So the way that I prepare has no relationship to how a new attorney should 
prepare. And we have a bunch of new attorneys here. And I always tell them, don't prepare the way I do. You can't do it. It's not going to work for you. And it's not good. (laughs) That's the best way I could say it for them. For me, it's fine. So, for example, I took two depositions over the past two days of a driver uh, of one car and then a driver's second car in a pretty horrible crash involving uh, a Lyft driver floating over, uh, almost hitting another car, that car losing control, crossing the median, going into a shuttle bus, killing one and wounding the whole entire shuttle bus because it flipped on its side. The bus did. And I knew I had to take those depositions. Now, in the old days, I would have started preparing a lot uh, earlier. But in the new days, I have so much going on that I can't always do everything way in advance. But I always do it the day before or, in my case, the night before. Deposition preparation for the first driver took me about two hours. Her deposition took maybe two and a half hours. Preparation for the second deposition only took me an hour and a half, but that's because Lisa prepared me. She must have spent another three or four hours preparing me. Okay, so that's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my tip. Get to be an old lawyer so you can have an associate, a crackerjack ace associate, who does that work for you that you can count on. I used to not let anybody do stuff like that for me because I didn't trust it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I had the anxiety of, well, I wanted to see it so I would know it. I like to know everything inside of me. And uh, if you don't know it inside of you, then it doesn't, for me, I can't be as on my feet if, if I don't feel it. Well, the reality is, is if you trust someone and they can bring you to the documents and you know what you're doing uh, because they've made everything so organized, I, I didn't feel any anxiety. Preparation, there's just no way around it. I do know some lawyers that don't do it. Um, and I would ask that you ask them what their track record is because sometimes it's way better than other times. And then here's, a, here's the other issue. It doesn't sound fun and exciting to prepare, does it? When you think about preparation, when you think about, I mean, okay, when I first took an economist deposition way back, like one of my first economist deposition, we did not have computer research. I spent two days in the law library reading treatises on economic theory and building outlines. It was ridiculous what I did. I um, got some old deposition transcripts. I, um, I found anything that the expert had written, which they, in, in, that, in the, that case, it was a PhD, so there was writings. I probably spent four full days preparing for that deposition. Now, it wasn't short either. I was a defense lawyer, so we built by the hour. That deposition, I swear, took five hours. Now I just, I, I roll my eyes if someone deposes my economist at all, let alone for an hour or two hours. It's like, we all know what discount rates are and 
you know, they just gave you a report, like, what are you taking this deposition for? I have no patience for it. But back in the day, six hour deposition of an economist, and I was challenging them on their theory because I've been reading all this stuff. <sighs> Our work is never done. There's always more that we can do. There's always more resources that we can do, et cetera. But you have to look at what is the cost benefit of your preparation. So here's something that happens when you prepare so much that you go to that other other level, like I just talked about six hours, I mean, six, uh, a whole week of preparation for a six hour deposition. You get too much stuff, um, which takes away what, what's the purpose of what you're doing? What's the purpose of you creating a medical timeline? What's the purpose of you taking a deposition? What's the purpose of you drafting a document? When you start just collecting stuff and working to work, you lose sight of what you're doing and you waste time and it doesn't help anything. And all it does is take away your own time to spend with your friends or family or dog or cat or watch a good episode of Shit's Creek. There is no magic number of how much you should prepare. There's, I, I feel that, that young lawyers in general need to over-prepare. I think that that should be the rule. The generalized rule is when in doubt, over-prepare as a young lawyer. Because you may not be swift on your feet, but at least you know what you're talking about. It will also reduce your anxiety so that you can think better. And that's, that's why I like to spend so much time preparing or doing stuff by myself. For example, I do all my own PowerPoints. I do all my, um, you know, all of that stuff because, and, and I do, and when I say PowerPoints, like if I'm in trial, I do a PowerPoint for every single witness for, for opening, for closing. I do it for everything. So sometimes that's, I'm going to be showing five PowerPoints or six in a day. And the reason I like to do it is because I need it to be inside of me. I need to have thought it through in my mind and I need to know what I'm doing. And I use PowerPoint as you know, only for slideshow to show evidence in the order that I want it and feel that it should be shown. Well, that creates a lot of, of comfortability. I know if I've already gotten done, and if I have to get off that script, I can get off that script and then return to it, and I'm still going down the road that I want to go down. Or if I want to get off that road completely, well, then I just make that judgment call knowing what I already know. Versus when you're just winging it and you're not prepared, you're just doing it and hoping it works. Now, a lot of trialers, me included, are very adrenaline-based. Others are just pure fear-based. Well, fear is part of the adrenaline process. So I was more scared when I was a young lawyer. In fact, I probably was scared. It's so long ago, I cannot remember. I am not scared anymore. And if I am, I don't even know that it's fear. I just like that rush and that feeling of, here I am, here we go and really never knowing 100% how something's going to turn out. The risk of, of it all and the art of trying to um, prevail is just so heady. But my strut in a courtroom, okay, have you ever seen Saturday Night Live? 
my favorite strut of all time, John Travolta, walking down the streets of Brooklyn to the Bee Gees. My strut in the courtroom, which does not look like John Travolta, Stranger to the Bee Gees, and yet is my own strut, is due to the fact that I'm prepared and I know the case in my heart. So while preparation, the process of it may not be the most fun part of it, it's the foundation for everything. I love to prepare because of that. I don't resent it. The night before the depositions, I do my preparation and I'm not mad about it. I want to prepare. Before going, before a legal argument, okay, I got to admit, sometimes I resent it because so much. You have to read all those cases. No, I don't resent it. I just wish I didn't have to do it. I wish I could magically just write the brief or read the brief and then I would know everything and I would never have to freshen up uh, my knowledge on that. But I have a shorter term memory. My, my, my memory is super short term in terms of how I practice law um, because there's so much that I do. So I do one thing at a time. Um, so even for preparing for depositions, I had two, pre- two pre- prepare for, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday. I did not prepare for Thursdays on Wednesday, even though I had more time available. I want to get one done, do it, and then do the next. Now, if I had had two depositions, I would have done preparation for both of them on that day. But in general, I want to deal with what's right there, knowing that everything else is in the queue and I'm already doing various steps for the preparation, but I don't want to consolidate everything in my mind. I don't want everything to, what's the word, coagulate? There must be a better, more lovely word than coagulate, but it just all gels and coagulates and turns into the way I want it to in my mind because I'm so internal and I can't explain any of that, which never helps anybody. So we have uh, several young lawyers here in the law firm or uh, lawyers that haven't practiced as long as uh, some of us senior lawyers. I'm not even a senior lawyer. Paul is at at 50 years of practice. Uh, And we try to help uh, people understand how to do things, but it's hard sometimes to translate it back to how we would have done it when we were a young lawyer and go through all the steps. But one step has never changed, and that's the step of preparation. It's got to get done, and you got to do it, unless you have Lisa (laughs) or one of our other wonderful, great attorneys here. But in this case, yesterday, Lisa, who I was prepared to spend another two hours, and there it was, all done for me. And the deposition occurred, and it was flawless. Because guess what? She was there to pull all the exhibits and tell me if I missed anything. All right, so that's my talk for today, preparation. Just change your attitude about it. Look at it for what it is, which is great. It's, I mean, think about it this way. How meaningful would what we do do about anything if we never had to prepare or devote any time to it? If we just were handed everything, if, if just everything was... So I'm going to tell you one, I'm going to end this with one little story. That's not even about preparation. It just happened recently, but 
just to tell you like what I'm talking about when I talk about the appreciation for it. So I bought a vacation home, another vacation home for those that are keeping track a month ago. And it was in Hawaii. The agent there I had met through my son-in-law, Saul Simmers, who's a real estate agent here in Seattle. And he had worked at, well, he vetted a whole bunch of them and, and told me I should go to this real estate agent named Dory. So I used Dory and, uh, it was, a. Uh, it's difficult to buy real estate in Hawaii. There's all different kinds of rules. The land is different, takes longer, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out that there was some problems with the house. There was a little bit of encroachment, uh, of, uh, there's some, so some, uh, easements needed to be drawn up and blah, blah, blah. And we get to the closing date and it had to be moved. So we're coming out of COVID. So I hadn't even seen the house. I wanted to see it before I bought it. So I went over uh, to Hawaii on Sunday, Sunday night. And I, my intent was to meet the seller there to walk through the house on Monday, close on Tuesday. Well, no, none, none of that happened. I got out of the car on Monday and there was no seller or the guy that needed to sign off on the easement. There was a the buyer or the selling agent who said, oh, they're not coming. At the same time, I saw a text from my realtor, Dory, saying she was coming and not to speak to the other guy because he had just been suspended. Okay, awesome. So we're, we're closing on this house. The seller's agent has been suspended over the weekend from uh, practicing real estate. He's there and he shouldn't be. And my agent comes up. She's looking flustered and says, I've been trying to spare you from this. He's been a nightmare, but this just came to a head. Blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, okay, great. Well, so we're not closing tomorrow. And I was supposed to get early occupancy. Well, occupancy, um, start moving stuff in that day, Monday. Without boring you further with this story, which wasn't very boring. I was very anxious and we were just, it was just chaotic. And I'm in Hawaii and... I have to work and nothing is what it's supposed to be. And my bank wants their money back because they've had it out for, for um, a, a month and it's all losing interest and they want it to go back into the accounts. So I uh, asked Paul to give the sellers who they met Paul strip matter because uh, he lives there and he had done the walkthrough. With, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the first showing <laughs> with my agent and the seller had been there. So he'd made friends with them. So I asked him to deliver to them a letter, which he did. I mean, I just had to go completely around her agent. Fortunately, she loved the strip matter. So she called me and I told her, I said, did you know your agent's been suspended? Okay. Fast forward. So over the next Three days, my agent, the seller, and eventually the former broker, because they weren't helping at first, put together a deal that really should have fallen through. Yeah, this has nothing to do with preparation, I told you. But I was like so upset. Um, I was angry. The prices, meanwhile, in Hawaii had just gone crazy because people were starting to come back to the island. Um, I didn't want the deal at the flip. I love the house. 
I had to work. Um, I was allowed to go move in early, but there was no, you know, we, we ended up having an internet issue. I couldn't work for a day. I mean, I was just beside myself. And then there's my agent, Dory, and the sellers, uh, Zoe, figuring this all out. Well, by the end of four days of just spending so much time figuring out how we're going to do this or how we're going to do this or what, how, now what, or this or that. I mean, I just feel like they're close friends. And in fact, I'm not going to even have to have a property manager because they are just going and hanging out at the house once a week for me. We are just a unit. And it's because we went through that process. We went through the fire of having to figure stuff out um, being emotionally twisted, uh, having to depend upon each other, everything involved to try to make something work. And that's what preparation does. Even though this is not a story, that story was not about preparation, it was about winging it, frankly. But all of our backgrounds uh, it had led up to that moment. Me as a lawyer, Dory as a real estate agent, and Zoe as just a super duper person. And so that when we needed to wing it, we could, because we already had all the foundation in place. And at the very end of the day, we appreciated everything so much more. It's why there's that old saying, through the fire, go through the fire, come out stronger in the end. Well, that's what happens with the preparation. If we didn't have to prepare, it would just be handed to us. And, and what fun is there in that? So the next time you have to prepare for something, which is probably today, just think about what a privilege it is to be able to do the grunt work needed to make something great. It's just a magical profession that we're in, that we're able to do that. It's not bad. It's great. Tell yourself that a hundred times over and out.